Amen. Praise the Lord. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Good to see the family of faith. What a beautiful day it is. How many are just glad in the Lord? Amen. I, 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 I am glad. I am happy in the Lord. I'm thankful for all that God has done for me. Has, is there anybody here that would maybe, maybe go out on the limb, maybe, maybe stretch yourself a little bit this morning and say, God is good. Ah, come on. Come on. Let's, let's just, let's be in that affirmation. Let's be in that state of mind. You know, the way we see God is the way we worship. The, the, the way that we perceive Him is the joy that we have, is the way that we express ourselves one to another. And I'm here to tell you today, we need to be celebrating the Lord, right? We need to be celebrating God. Amen. We need to be celebrating Him. He's worthy. Amen. So an awesome day today. We are beginning a new series. I'm telling you today, listen, if you'll hear this series... And if you'll hear it and be a doer of what you're hearing, right? I, I, I was sharing with our leaders today. Uh, I'm sure many of you, I would suppose that probably most of us, I'm thinking I grew up in the church, so I've probably heard, I don't know, a thousand messages. I don't I'm just going out on a limb. Maybe I've heard a thousand messages in my lifetime. But it's not what we're hearing. It's what we're doing, right? So Jesus said, listen, you can't just hear the message. You've got to go out and do the message, right? So think to yourself, how many messages have you done? You know, you've heard a bunch. The question is, how many messages have you done? I want to encourage you today. I'm going to give you a principle today that can revolutionize your faith to help you to walk in some of the greatest victory in some of the greatest places for God in this age and in this time, if you'll just receive this message. Today we are in a series called First Love, the First Love series, and we're going to be learning how to keep God first in our time, in our treasure, in our talents, and in our thoughts. And I'm going to give you principles for that, and if you can lay hold of these principles, your faith, your purpose in God will be transformed, right? If you'll apply the principles, right? So we're going to learn the principles that govern our faith. And how many today know? I want to just, just throw this at you. How many today know that God is first? God's first. He doesn't take second to nobody. And I'm going to teach why he doesn't. So before I teach you how to keep God first... I'm going to teach you why to keep God first. I think the why is more important than the how for right now. So if you have your Bibles, let's stand. We're going to get into the reading of the Word of the Lord. Welcome everybody that's tuning in by stream. Uh, uh, can I encourage you today? How many believe that God has sent you to be a missionary to the world? Anybody believe that? Anybody believe that? You know, I know that, that, that uh, and I'm just kind of throwing this out here just to start getting some people's minds ready. But this next fall, I am planning on going back to Ethiopia to take a return trip, do some missions work, going to be, hit, hit the ground and go do some work. I've been talking with our, my missionary there. They're getting geared up and ready for me to come down this next fall. But what I want to tell you is that you, you might be here and you might say, well, Pastor, you know, I, I don't think I could ever go across the world uh, to preach the gospel or to declare the truth. But you know what you can do? You've got something right there on your phone. It's called Facebook. <laughs> you could turn me down. I'm getting a little bit of buzz back there. You've got, you've got Facebook. You've got Twitter. You've got all these social places where you can go. You, could, you can just share this message on your timeline. Share the message on your timeline. You'd be surprised the number of people, your friends, that will tune into your timeline and hear this message and be transformed by it. You'd be surprised how God could work just, just with you click, using your finger to click it a few times and send it to certain places. Or maybe you've got a friend in faith and you want to encourage their faith. How many know you could send a, they call that people will sometimes say, hey preacher, just DM me. Anybody know what DM means? Anybody here know what DM means? Direct message. Thank you. That's a young, young brother. Direct message. So I know that I just got to direct message them, right? And you could send this to somebody. You would be surprised what the Word of God could do. How many did they know that faith cometh by hearing? And hearing by the Word of the Lord. And how can they hear? Let's say have a preacher. And how valuable it is right now uh, that we can attain to the things of the Lord. So I'm encouraging you today to share this message. We need all the church. You'll see me this afternoon. I'm going to share it on my timeline. I'm going to tell every church member, every guest, friend, you need to hear today's message because we need to know the why before we know the how. Somebody say amen to that. 
So if you're in Exodus, I want to read a, a, a portion of scripture. This is the, this is the first love series. Uh, uh, this, that's the title of the message, first love. It's a first love series. It's first love. Uh, and so we're going to get into that uh, conversation, the first love series. Can I encourage you to just, just let the word of the Lord hit you? Some of the things I'm going to be telling you, you've probably never heard before. And this is going to be new to a lot of people because I'm giving you a biblical principle, right? First love is a biblical principle. God is always first. And I'm going to teach you why he's first. And we're going to talk about this today. And I'm going to teach you some stuff. Uh, and we're going to go a little deep today. So you, you would probably have your, have, if, if you'll allow it, um, the Spirit of the Lord is going to, going, to, going to prick you from time to time. Somebody say amen to that. How many are thankful for the pricking of the Holy Spirit? I'm thankful for it. I need it. I need to be pricked of the Spirit of God. Amen. Exodus chapter 13. This is God first principle. So just hold on to this. This, this, this next week, and I encourage you to read all of the chapter, but I'm just going to read a few verses. Exodus chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, and then I'm going to jump to verse 10, but I'll give you a little preface from verses 3 to 9 because it talks about communion. So check this out. Exodus chapter 13 verses 1 and 2 and the Lord spake unto Moses saying sanctify unto me that means separate unto me all the firstborn y'all see that separate from me all the firstborn whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel both of man and of beast listen to what God says it is mine I'm first it's mine and I only get the best I only want the first it is mine so notice uh, verses 3 through 9 I encourage you to read that a little bit later this is the story of unleavened bread it's the story of communion it's the story of Christ notice verse 10 Thou shalt therefore keep this ordinance in his season from year to year. This is an everlasting ordinance. And it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites. This is the promised land. As he swore unto thee and to thy fathers and shall give it thee. That thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix. Watch this. And every firstling that cometh of a beast which thou hast. The male shall be the Lord's. So every animal born that opens up the matrix, that firstborn, that male, belongs to God. Now watch what he says. And every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. So every unclean animal that you purpose to keep, that firstling, if you want to keep it, you got to sacrifice the lamb to me. So the unclean is sanctified by the clean. Did y'all catch that? That's, that's profound. He says, I'll read it again. And every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with the lamb. And if thou wert not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck. And all the firstborn of men among the children shall thou redeem. And it shall be when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What is this? Thou shalt say unto him, By strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of bondage. Wow. We're going to get into some stuff. Y'all ready? We're going to get down. You, you ready? This is going to be this first love series is, going to, is revolutionary. I'm teaching biblical principle today and I'm excited for it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for the time that we have together as the family of faith. Father, we're not, we're not afraid to entertain you. We're not afraid to make a place for you. Father, we want you here. And we'll embrace your word. We'll worship. We'll, Father, we're here to make room for your weightiness, for your fullness to occupy us. We're not running from the truth. We're turning to it. We're embracing it because, Father, we want your fullness. We want to see you. We want to know you. Holy Spirit, stir us, prick us, move us, guide us, help us to come into the realities of these principles that are founded in the scriptures. Holy Spirit, saturate our minds. Let this word fall upon us. 
just so easy and so entreating and so gentle that it just saturates into every crevice of our lives. Help us to walk out of here different than when we came in, possessing the word of the Lord, possessing uh, the fullness of God. And so we pray your help and strength. We pray it together as a family faith always does. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Will you do me a favor? Will you go find five people and just give them a hug and tell them this, keep God first. Go just give them a hug and love them in faith and just say, keep God first. Amen and amen. for all of you. Amen. I thank God for every one of you. Amen. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord. Thank you for being in church. Thank you for being in the presence of God. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for being in the house of God. Amen. It's so good to look around and see the family of faith embracing each other, loving on one another, and, and, and giving a salutation, a kiss, a, a appreciating each other in the Lord. That's the house of the Lord. Amen. That's the house of the Lord. Amen. We're going to get into some stuff today. I pray that you just allow the Spirit of the Lord to minister to you. We're going to be talking about first love. Amen. So before I get into the how, we're going to talk about the why. And how many did they know that the why is just as important as the how? Amen. So we want to establish some foundations in the family of faith today. And I'm, I'm here to tell you what I'm about to preach to you. Listen, brother and sister, I tell my wife, these things bring tears to my eyes. These are the things that when I get before God in my prayer closet, things that are being said, these, these are the things that grip my spirit. So I'm praying it'll grip yours too. Let me begin today by introducing to you a passage of Scripture, St. Matthew chapter 19. And you're familiar with this passage. This is the passage. If you have a topical Bible, it's listed like this. The rich young ruler. You know this story. The, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says this to Jesus. Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? To which Jesus responds to this rich young ruler by this statement. He says, why callest thou me good? For there is only one good, and that is your Father which is in heaven. But if you want eternal life, Jesus said, keep the commandments. Now I want you to see how profound this statement is, because to that request, the rich young ruler says to Jesus, which ones? Now, anybody that knows anything about the law knows that the law is one law in 10 parts. If you violate one, you violate them all. It's interesting that Jesus does something unorthodox in this place and that Jesus begins to describe the commandments one by one. Watch what Jesus does. So he said, well, which one should I keep? And Jesus says, thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. I'll catch you now. One by one, Jesus goes through the commandments. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Now I want you to see what Jesus is doing. He gets down to this list little piece where he says, love thy neighbor. Catch this. As thyself. It's interesting when we catch that because Jesus is speaking about all the commandments that relate one to another. And he left off one big important commandment, which is to have no other gods before you. So watch what Jesus does. Jesus goes through all the commandments by which we relate one to another and left off the commandments how we relate to God. And he says, no, it's so important, you got to catch that. He says, you shall do no murder. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. 
Are y'all catching what's happening here? He leaves off all the things that he's hoping that this rich young ruler would come to his senses. And then the rich young ruler says back to Jesus, all these have I kept from my youth. What lack I yet? Now think for a moment that this rich young ruler had everything down horizontally, but he had nothing vertically with God. He, he was simply trying to look like somebody who was doing good things. But he was far from God. I, I want you to catch this, that Jesus then says back to this rich young ruler, but if you want to be perfect, go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. I've always called him the 13th disciple. The Bible says, that he turned away and was very sorrowful. And Jesus says, hardly will a rich man enter into the kingdom of heaven. For you see, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And do you know that the disciples said back to Jesus, the Bible says they were exceedingly amazed. And you know what they said? Who then can be saved? If he's not getting in, how are we going to get in? And it, it, it boggles my mind to see that the disciples could see no way for a man to be saved. If this guy can't do it, certainly I can't do it. And then Jesus says to his disciples, with men this is impossible, but with God, nothing will be impossible. I, I want you to see that it was possible that Jesus could have used circular reasoning. He could have, he could have easily said back to his disciples, well, well, if you want to know how to get in, it's the same request I have of him. I mean, keep the commandments and you'll get in. I mean, it would have been easier for Jesus to say, well, hadn't you heard the conversation I had with the rich young ruler? Why don't you do the same? But instead, Jesus began to speak about that which is impossible. You want to go a little deeper with me? I believe my God can do all things. Let me say that one more time for somebody. I don't think you catch that. I believe my God is exceedingly abundantly able to do more than what I even ask, more than what I ever think. I believe my God dwells in the impossibility. I believe that. I believe that. That's the core of my faith. That's the principle of my faith. I believe my God can do it. Now, I want you to understand, I, I, I love the story, Mark chapter 9, and if you heard me reference the story many times, this is the story of a man who had a son who, who, was, who was possessed. He was demonized, and the Bible says that often this child would cast himself into the fire or into the water to kill himself, and he had brought him to the disciples. The disciples could do nothing with him. And then Jesus says, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I suffer? You bring that child to me. And the Bible says, the Bible says, that Jesus asked that father, do you believe that I can do this? Do you believe that nothing is impossible to him that believes? And what did he say? I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Let me help you with something. Of all of the studying in my life in the scriptures, of all the times that you can imagine, the countless times that I've flipped through the pages of my Bible, of all the times I've taken my Bible into my prayer closet and wept over its pages, of all the things that I know about God, and friend, let me tell you something, I am in my Bible constantly. And what I can tell you, the thing that fears, that I fear the most, the thing that causes my soul to be so, so raptured up in the very power of God that produces reverence in me is not what God can do, but what God cannot do. It's not what he can do, because what he can do, I can celebrate that. It's what he cannot do that grips my very spirit. Do you know that God cannot change? Amen. That's right. 
For some of you that don't know this, the God of the Old Testament is still the same God of the New Testament. And what God said back then at the beginning, he's saying right there at the end. He cannot change. God is perfect. And if you don't think so, maybe you ought to gander through the scriptures. How many know Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8? Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. How, how many know James 1, 7? Where the Bible says that, that all, every good and every perfect gift coming from the Father and coming down from above. Of whom there is no shadow, no variableness of turning. What did God say of himself in Malachi chapter 3? I, the Lord thy God, I change not, lest the sons of Jacob be consumed. God is changeless. And he's changeless because he's perfect. Somebody say God is perfect. You better get that in your spirit, baby. God is perfect. Doesn't that terrify you? You can't improve on God. God isn't 2.0 and now 3.0 after Jesus came. He's the same God that he's always been. Somebody say amen to that. How many know that God cannot lie? You ought to be writing these things down. It's the things that God cannot do that terrifies me. God cannot lie. God cannot lie. In fact, do me a favor. Open your Bibles. Numbers 23. I think somebody might need to grab this because you hear this quoted all the time. For God is not a man that he should lie. Is that, is that Numbers chapter 23? Is that verse 17? Numbers 23. Just, just, just write these things down. God is not a man that he should lie. Nor the son of man that he... Uh, let's, let's get it. Let's get it. Sometimes I, I ponder, should I preach it or should I just teach it? Sometimes I wish I could just pull up a chair next to you and teach these principles. This is in verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Right. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? God means what he says. Amen. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he means it. That whatever God says is true. Listen, do you know that the spirit of Christ is the spirit of prophecy? That whenever you get a hold of the word of God and what God has said, he's going to be true to this. Somebody say, man, you got a problem? Take the word with you. God will not lie to you. If he said he's going to do it, he's going to do it. And, and if he said he's going to make good on what he said. Somebody say amen to that. That's a principle of the word. How many you know? In fact, do, do this with me. Go to 2 Timothy Chapter 2, verse 13. Some of you know that whenever you send me, sometimes send me a text, you got a promise, situation, strife, a contention, an area of your life where you need God to move. And what I always tell you, God is faithful. I always tell you, God is faithful. Right? I tell you that because God cannot act outside of his character. Let me say that one more time. God cannot act outside of his own character. Are, are, are you in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13? I'm pretty sure that's it because some of y'all know that because I quote this so often, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 9, 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 13. The Bible says, if we believe not, he abideth faithful, for he cannot deny himself. How many have ever been faithless? He remains faithful. Because that's his character. He can't be anything but what he is. Somebody say amen to that. That's, that, that's tremendous. You ought, to, you ought to have reverence for the idea that God will always act within his own character. That is marvelous. Yeah. That, that, that is news for somebody. That, that, that is a place where you can anchor your soul. How many today know that God does not think? God doesn't think. God isn't figuring it out. God isn't in heaven surprised at your prayer request. God doesn't think. It's called omniscience. He knows everything. He doesn't have to think to know it. He knows it already. Somebody say amen to that. God doesn't think. When you come to God with your petition, he already knew you were going to come with that petition. And whatever you ask for, he's already put in motion the very thing that you asked for because he knows in advance that you were going to ask for it. Somebody say amen to that. Somebody say you won't surprise God. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not going to surprise God. So time we get in our prayer, God, Lord, I don't want to bother you, but I need to tell you something. He already knows. 
God does not think. If you don't think so, read Isaiah 55. For your thoughts are not his thoughts, neither are your ways his ways. As heaven is high above the earth, so are his thoughts above yours and, and his ways above yours. Right. Right? So check this out. You got your Bible. Open to Acts 17. Let me give you this next one. God can never be second. Thank you, Lord. Lord. Let, me, let, let me say that one more time. God can never be second. Because now what we're talking about, go back with me to St. Matthew 19, where Jesus is saying, now, listen, with men it is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Because now we're talking about the impossibility of God. What we're talking about is God's preeminence. God was here before you. You know, philosophers say that, that there are only three essential beings in the cosmos. Three essential beings. Three necessary beings, as they say. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is impossible that they don't exist. Y'all didn't hear what I just said? Their, their non-existence is impossible. They have always been. They are eternal. They have always been there. They are first God is first. He has always been. He will never be second because he has always been first. And just as the nature of God, how many today know that God is holy? Anybody know that God is holy? That means, listen, if you know that God is holy, that means he cannot tolerate sin. Some of us don't look at the adverse of what we're saying if we say God is holy. Well, when we say God is holy, what does it mean to say God is holy? God is greater than everything. He is holiness. In Hebrew means a cut above the rest. He is better than anything. He is greater than anything. He is first. He is holy. What happened when Moses approached the burning bush? What did the angel say? Take off your shoes for the place where you're standing is holy ground. You can't come with your dirty shoes into a holy presence. Come on, somebody. You can't, you can't come dirty to God. You can't, you can't come all disheveled to God. He is holy. He is first. Don't think for one minute that God will tolerate your sin in your life. Don't think for one second that you're going to give God an excuse for what you're doing. He is holy. He is uniquely holy. And you can't come into his presence that way. Watch this. God is preeminent. He's first. God says to the world, I will never be second. And if you put me second anywhere in your life, I will not be God. Now you think about how terrifying that process is. God says, I demand to be first. Because I've always been first. I'm preeminent. God cannot be second. He can't be second in your time. He won't be second in your treasures. He won't be second in your talents. And he's never going to be second in your mind, in your thought process. He won't do it. You want to walk with God? He's got to be first. You say, preacher, why why are you preaching like this? Where did you get all this from? I got it from Jesus. Jesus says, unless you hate your mother and your father and your brothers and your sister and your mother-in-law and your father-in-law, you can't follow me because God has to be first. Everything around you has to look like hate when you think about me. To follow me, everything has to be second. I am number one. I am God. I am first. Are you in Acts 17? I, I love this particular passage because I, I've read this through so many times. This is the story of Paul. This to me is probably the greatest story of God's preeminence. Uh, the, the greatest description given by the Apostle Paul as to the preeminence of God. And he gives it to the people who actually need to hear it because he's in Athens. He's around thinkers and philosophers. You know the story. The Bible says that when Paul came to Athens, he was stirred up in his spirit because he saw that they were given over to idolatry. Uh, uh, just, just How many today know that the idolatry that may be ruling your life is the way you think? How many know we could put our mind before God? The way we think before God. 
And so here are these philosophers, the, 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 these Stoics and Athenians, and, 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 and they were there thinkers of the day, philosophers of the day. And Paul was stirred in his spirit because they were given over to the idolatry of the mind. They start thinking that reasoning is greater than God. And so Paul, the Bible says, Paul, let me open my Bible there so you can get this with me. Are you in Acts 17, right? Slide your finger down. I want to say, beginning here, Acts, Acts 17, I could probably quote it. I've read it through so many times in my lifetime. Verse 22. And the Bible says, and Paul stood in the midst of Mars' hill. And he said, ye men of Athens, I perceive that you are in all things a bit too superstitious. For as I passed by, I beheld your devotions. And I saw an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Then watch what Paul says, him declare I unto you. So now Paul is going to make a declaration of who is God. And, and it's a preeminent statement. A friend, you, let me tell you something. If you don't got this highlighted in your Bible, highlight it right now. This is the story of God's preeminence. You, you, you ought to lay hold of this, friend. God says, I'm number one. I've always been. Are you there? You see where he's going to say, I'm going to declare him to you. I, I, I'm going to make... This unknown God known to you. Let me tell you who he is. Paul says this. God who made the worlds and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and the earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing that he giveth life to all and breath and all things. Do you know that the very breath that you breathe belongs to God? And the ability to breathe that breath came from him. Do you know that when God made you, he breathed rock into your life. He made you alive by his very breath. That's why Paul is saying, listen, he gives to what? He gives all breath, all things. Notice, notice that, that Paul gets into living things. He says, who hath made of one blood all nations of men that dwell upon the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and, and is limited and given form to the habitation. And then he says this, and this is where I'm getting to the preeminence. Then he says this, that they should seek the Lord. Yeah. If happily, watch this, they might feel after him. And find him. For he's not far from every one of us. Think about what he's saying. That you might feel after God. Friend, that's why I tell you, God does not believe in atheists. Because listen, we can feel after God. We can understand God by the very things that we encounter in this world. God is not far from us. He's near to us. And that, how many know that one of the principles you learn in the Bible is that God is with you? Anybody know that as a principle of the Bible? Listen, some of you need to lay hold of that principle that God is with you. God dwells with you. Know ye not that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost, that God isn't far away. He's near to you. And Paul is saying that we might feel after him. Has there anything that you've ever felt that brought you into relationship with God? Is there any experience or situation you've been through that you say that you know that you know that you know that God is real? Have you ever gone through something where God showed up? Have you ever prayed over something and God answered it? Have you ever experienced something? Have you ever seen something? you ever seen your children born and you say there has to be a God somewhere? Oh, come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Come on. I'm talking about preeminence that life itself bears witness that God is alive. And in fact, it's the Bible that teaches us that if we go outside and look around and see the handiwork of God, and if we believe not, he'll turn you over to a reprobate mind. Friend, Paul even goes as far as to say, in him we live and move and have our being. He goes, it's just as your poets have said, we are his offspring. Yeah. Catch that. He says, we are 
the children of God. Let, let, let me, let me, let me tell you that that's a terrifying statement. That I'm a child of God? That I'm a son? That, 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 I'm, that I'm legitimately God's son? I'm his child? Now, now friend, li- li- listen, let, 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 me, let, me, let me say something. See, see my existence, see, see I, I, I'm a contingent being. See, I didn't exist until 1967 and maybe nine months before that. So maybe, maybe 1966 was when I came into existence. And I became a child. John tells me that even though my parents were planning on having a child, it wasn't their plan, but God's plan. That that God was birthing me. A preeminent God from the foundations of the world had me in mind. I'm not an accident. I'm not a mistake. Friend, if you're here and you're the oops baby, you're not an oops baby in the mind of God. You know, you know how your parents say, well, you were the oops baby. We weren't planning on having it, but, you know, you, we got you, but we did the best we could when you came. I mean, we, you know, we weren't planning on it, but we, we helped you the best we could. Listen, God, 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 somebody say, G-O-D, the preeminent one, the first one said, you are mine. You're mine. Somebody say hallelujah. Say, I belong to God. I belong to God. So the question is why? Why should I keep God first? Exodus 13. I want you to see something so profound about God that God is very particular with what is first. He wants the first. He doesn't want the second. I I, I would assume that the beast, the the ass or even the lamb would have subsequent children, but God said, I want the first one. You're going to give me the first. That lamb may have 10 kids, but I want the first one. That ass may have other donkeys, but I want the first donkey. Particular about the first. Very particular about the first. I'm jealous about the first. Jealous that it always be number one. I don't want number two. I mean, I mean, you could have ten lambs. God doesn't want the ten. He wants the one that was born first. He doesn't want the eleventh or twelfth one. You could have twelve lambs. And God said, I don't want twelve lambs. I want the one that was born first. The one that is born first belongs to me. It is holy. It is mine. You better be thankful God thinks like this. I'm going to show you why. He says, I want the first. Whatever opens a matrix, that, that, that male child is mine. Firstborn belongs to me. It's mine. I'm the God of first. Now watch what happens. The details of first that God gave to Moses was this. If you have an ass, an unclean animal... And when it brings that first baby ass, that first donkey, if you want to keep it, you've got to take a lamb and sacrifice it. To redeem the unclean thing, you need a clean thing. And you're going to take the first of that lamb and you're going to sacrifice it to redeem that unclean thing. That it might belong to me. And if you decide not to keep it, then you're going to break its neck. You're still going to sacrifice it. And if your if you're clean thing bursts a clean thing, guess what? I want you to sacrifice the clean thing. It still belongs to me. This is God. He says, I will be first. I will always be first. This is my command. You will keep me first. You will keep me first. Because I'm a God of first. I'm preeminent. I'm above it all. I'm the source of it all. I'm God. In your Bible's 1 John 4. You, you, you say, preacher, why do you keep God first? So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, 
quote you something. So, so, so watch what God is teaching Moses. This is the principle. If you have an unclean thing and you want to keep it, you have to take a clean thing in the lamb and you're going to have to sacrifice it to keep the unclean, to make the unclean clean, to keep it keepable. If you have a clean thing that bursts a clean thing, guess what? You're going to have to sacrifice the clean thing in order to be right with me. Are you in 1 John chapter 4? Yes, sir. Let, let me quote this verse. You'll be familiar with this. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die. Yet peradventure for a good man would one even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were still yet sinners, Christ came and died for the ungodly. Let me say that one more time because I want you to see this has always been God's principle. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure for a good man would one even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Did you hear that? The ass that was born, the unclean thing, had to be redeemed by God to keep it first. Do you you know that, that Jesus is the first love? Let me stop and say it again because maybe you're not getting the fullness of this picture. I'm trying to teach you the why. Do do you know that Jesus is the first love that God sent? He he is the first. He's the firstborn among many brethren. He's the firstling. He's the lamb that was clean. He, He is the very best of God. He is God. This is Jesus coming to satisfy the first for God. The whole story of salvation is that God kept you first. Are you there in 1 John chapter 4? I thought I'd get a whole lot more amens and hallelujahs. Because I just want you to see that the same principle that God has given to you, he keeps for himself. How many did they know that God is keeping you first? Y'all didn't hear what I just said. God is keeping you first. God has always kept you first. God has always reserved a a place for you. God said, you're the apple of my eye. My thoughts towards you are more precious than the very numbers of sand on the seashore. God has always kept you first. Friend, God has always kept you first. He's always kept you first. You say, well, how do you know he kept you first? Because John tells us he kept us first. What does he say in 1 John chapter 4? I believe that's verse 10. He says, and herein is love. And herein is love. Anybody out there? What is love? Well, we know God is. But what's the principle of love? What is the abiding principle of love? You say you love God? You, you, You say you're a lover of God? Then I ask you, the herein, is he first? Because if he's not first, you don't love him like you say you love him. We know this is true in every area of life. What we love the most, we reserve the most time for. What we love the most, we keep our money there. For We keep our talents there. Our thoughts are towards the things that we love the most. Friend, where does God rank in all of that? If you say you're a lover of God, where's your checkbook to prove that, he's, that you love him? Does your time give evidence that he's the predominant thought in your mind? Are you prioritizing God? Is he at the very top? Because God said, I must be first. You say you love God, show me your checkbook. Let me read your ledger. I'll tell you if he's first or not. Talk to me about the details of your day. Do your day involve him or does your day involve you? And friend, I'm here to tell you, God is specific. He said, listen, I'm going to keep you first. I demand that you keep me first. 
And this is the relationship I'm making with you. I'm going to keep you first. You're going to keep me first. And this is what Jesus was always trying to teach us. Friend. Jesus, I didn't come to bring peace, but I come to bring a sword. I've come to set up father at variance with his own father. A son with his father. A daughter with a mother. A daughter with a daughter-in-law. Father-in-law. Friend, I'm here to tell you that if you try to find your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake, you'll find it. And friend, the blessing is when God is first. When he is first, God has to be first. And this is why John says, and herein is love. This is the beloved speaking. If there's anybody that knows what it is to love Jesus, it's the beloved, the revelator saying, herein is love. Not that you love God. That he loved you first. God made a covenant, covenant of love, by sending his son to be the firstborn among all the brethren to redeem you, to redeem you by his blood, that you would become the offspring of God. Friend, you are the first love of God. You you are the object of the first love. You say, well, preacher, why do you keep God first? Because he kept me first. Why do you do what you do? I do because he did for me. Brothers and sisters, what manner of Christians are we if God is not first when his heart is always to keep you first? I tell my wife always, I said, I thank God that the Lamb of God is there interceding on my behalf. Because you know what? The truth may be said that we're not living up to the bargain. We're not living up to our covenant. And what it is is that we don't have principles. We don't have principles governing our lives. Yeah, you may know the scriptures, but you don't know the principles that govern what God says. God is not speaking arbitrarily. He's speaking out of principle. He is preeminent, and he speaks out of that preeminence. God demands to be first in all things. He wants to be first in your time. He wants to be first in your money. He wants to be first in your thoughts. He wants to be first in your talents. He wants to be first in your marriage and in your job. Wherever you go, God wants to be first in your life. Somebody say amen to that. Somebody say amen to that. I'm going to stop right there. Stand with me. we got a lot to do. Stand up with me. Stand up with me. Stand up with me. We've got a lot to do. We've got to pray for the kids today. We, we've got to put our minds to work today in the things of the Lord, the things that we just heard. Brothers and sisters, I pray that I stirred you. I pray that there's a stirring in your life. You know, we're in a culture now that says because we're in the dispensation of grace that we can just be haphazard about our relationship with God. But you know what I tell people that tell me that? Listen, I've ran into people, and they try to tell me, well, you know, we're living in grace, and that Jesus fulfilled the scriptures and the law and so forth. You know what I tell them? You know, when Jesus, you know how Jesus fulfilled the law? You want to hear how he fulfilled the law? Jesus said this, you've heard it said that you shall not murder, but I tell you that if you hate a brother without a cause, or if you say fool to one another, you're in danger of hellfire. You know how the Bible says, thou shalt not commit adultery? I tell you the truth. If you even lust upon a woman with your very eyes, you've already committed adultery. Does that sound like grace went down or grace caused us to peak in the spirit of God? Friend, listen, this is not a time to be lackadaisical. This is not a time to hide under some umbrella of grace and act like everything's hunky-dory with God. God says, I demand to be first. And it takes a real concerted mind, a mind concentrated on God to please the Lord. And I thank God that the the, the Holy Spirit brings us into these realities. That God said, I'm keeping you first. My request is that you keep me first. Listen, brother and sister. Does God deserve to be first in your life? I mean, I don't know what you know about God, but from what I've experienced with the Lord, he deserves first. See, we got to start there because if we don't start there and I teach you how, but if you don't care about the how, then, then, then what's the point of teaching the series? The question you first have to answer is why should I keep God first? 
Now, I'm just, just going to take a moment. Just, just, I want the atmosphere still and just reverent before God. And just, just you need to just close in with God. And if you're like me, if, you, if, if you're like me, and I, and I would have to, uh, I just presume that you are. That I know that the Spirit pricks me in places. He's constantly causing me to run to God. God does not want to be the third phone call you make when you get in trouble. He doesn't want to be the fourth person that you run to when you're short on cash or you're short in a situation or you're in some dilemma. He doesn't want to be third. And in fact, can I share with you, the Spirit sent me to tell you, God cannot be second. I'm going to say it again. God cannot be second. You want to see the fullness of God? Keep him first. Now think about what God is saying. He's saying, if you keep me first, I'm going to keep you first. I've always kept you first. But, but I want you to see the principle in the scripture. That God is saying, listen, every firstborn thing belongs to me. Everything that opens a matrix belongs to me. I, I, I have no other gods before me. Uh, that's the first commandment. Jesus taught it, seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. Then all other things shall be added. They're teaching you the preeminence. Paul's teaching preeminence. God, you deserve to be first. Father, there's no question. You deserve first. Are you there with me? Are you there? Listen, I've worked through it. I've wrestled with it. I, I pray you'll do it this morning too. Just, just Father, you be first. You be first. You be first. You be first, God. Hey, somebody out there, you got a problem? Put God first. You have a necessity? Put God first. You've been going through something, man. You got an illness? Put God first. Uh, you, you, you've been troubled in your mind, keep God first. Uh, you, you, you're looking for a husband, looking for a wife, keep God first. <laughs> uh, you, you, you want to improve your marriage, keep God first. You, you, you want your marriage to blossom, you want to see the fullness of God, keep Him first in your marriage. Yeah, I'm going to teach these principles to you. You, 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 you want to see breakthrough at your job, keep Him first at your job. Keep God first first and this this is where we need practical application where we need deliberation where we need somebody to tell us the answer is in keeping God first the, the, the source of all things is God this is what Paul taught in him you live move and have your being daughter son God is your source Listen right now, if you're a child of God, just lift your hands to heaven and say, Father, you're my source. Everything flows from you. Father, you are my source. Everything flows from you. You, you, are, my, you are my first go-to. Uh, you, you are my road map. You, you, you're the one that I'm waiting on directions for. I, I trust in you, O oh Lord. And even when I don't know how, I know you do. And so I just keep walking. I keep persevering. I keep trusting because you are first. Father, we belong to you.